every Sunday at two, I would bring a friend in because StreamYard lets you bring a guest. So I just got to see everybody and look forward to Sunday. And we built a community and we're still doing it when we're home and not on the road. Uh, and people would, you know, buy records and books and uh, T-shirts and send tips and we'd share it with the musicians and we just built this thing. It was, it, it is, it's kind of cool. Is it sticking around? I mean, now that things are opening back up, do you plan on still doing that to some extent? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to stay in conversation with an audience around the world. I mean, obviously I talked to a lot of musicians and most, if not all of them have tried to do some form of streaming and it seems to be kind of a mixed bag. Like a lot of them, a lot of them take to it a lot better than others. You gotta be a TV host. I don't think a lot of people signed up for that. I spoke to James McMurtry not long ago, and you know he kind of does a similar thing as you in terms of a singer-songwriter. And he also was thriving in that space. And I wonder if there's something to being a singer-songwriter and being somebody who plays often acoustic music, that there's a direct connection that you don't always get when you're playing in a large space in front of a lot of people. I think so. I think you have to have songs that have story. And I think that you have to be able to pull it off solo. And I think that it really works um, uh, with the type of songs James does. Uh, his have been incredibly uh, uh, well attended and beautiful. I watched several of his. We had him as a guest on mine. And so we're kindred in that way. It, it works for a troubadour. But of course, in the end, the troubadour wants to be on the road. Are you somebody generally who likes to talk about the meanings behind songs? No. Because I don't even know what they mean. I mean, I know what they mean to me, but I don't want to tell you what they mean to you. So I try to steer clear of that. But I, I don't mind talking about the creation of the songs and, and um, you know, sort of an overview. But uh, I'm not going to break it down in piecemeal and say what it means, because that would mess up the, the, um, the beauty of the art form, which is that people take it to mean different things at different times in their life. I guess I was imagining that, that that is part of, as you said, kind of being a TV host is, is giving people some context for the story. I mean, maybe it's just when it was written and why it was written without digging too deeply into the details. Yeah, and where it was written and maybe some stories uh, that have to do with uh, uh, the, the circumstances, but not the meaning, right? Are you able to connect a specific song with a, a time and place and what you were feeling and what you were doing when it was written? A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, I can remember where I was and, and uh, sort of what was on my heart when I was writing it. And uh, there's others that took so long to write, like the title track to Dark Enough to See the Stars. I started that in 2013. So that's nine years in making. So, well, eight years. And it, it, and it, it, uh, it went through so many manifestations. Lord, I don't, I, you know, it was about a breakup and then it became about grieving during a pandemic. I can kind of track it. Those are both subjects dealing with loss to a certain extent, but that's a pretty, it's a pretty dramatic transformation at the end of the day. Yeah, I just knew it wasn't right in the original manifestation, and I didn't put it on the record that I put out in 2013 called Trouble in Love. I just held it and, and waited, um, and, and I'm glad I did because it's a much better song now. In fact, who knew it was going to be a title track to the next record? I actually just put that together talking to you. Like, I'm glad I held it back because it wasn't it, no wine before it's time. <laughs> What were the common threads? I mean, clearly it wasn't fully formed if, if the subject matter was so dramatically different. What shape was it in 
eight or nine years ago. It was a straight up song about uh, a breakup yeah. uh, and uh, about uh, grieving a romantic uh, uh, collapse. Um, and after going through so much death and loss and grief in the pandemic, I realized, oh, this is a bigger song than, than that. This is a song uh, that addresses mortality. And, and once I had this idea that hit me uh, so hard, which, which just landed the song for me, is that the love that I receive from the people who have passed away, I get to keep. And, and that's the reason it's so sad that I lost him because, because I love them and they love me and, and that love matters to me. And, and it's not gone. I get to hold on to it. It's a, it's a gift freely given, and I get to hold on to it. Uh, and that brings me hope. It's the end of a grieving process rather than the beginning of a grieving process. When you come to terms with, oh, that love is still mine. Hope is such an interesting word in, in that context. I mean, obviously, when you lose somebody, they're gone. How does hope manifest itself? Because of the power of love to, to transcend time. It, it transcends everything. That love, I can tap into it. I can remember those moments uh, where I was receiving it, and I can experience it again. I feel it. And in a wild way, um, uh, the song sort of is me beginning to make sense of, wait a minute, that's what we leave behind. We leave behind our love. There's a line, you have to walk there. It started and continued to be a song about grieving, but how does it become celebratory at the same time? Those two things seem to be dramatically in conflict. Yeah, you know, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think the last stage of grief is acceptance. And in that acceptance, um, there's a lot of trapdoors. And um, one of them for me is the realization that I accept that I will not see you again in the form that I have known you, but the love that you gave me, I will hold on to until, until the day that I die. How soon after losing somebody is, is it clear that you want to express that sentiment in song? I would suppose it, 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 it's, it's kind of a, a thread that, that deepens and widens with time. It, it's, I don't think it's an event. It's more of a process. Yeah. It's a river that's constantly flowing, but you can't, you don't get to decide when you jump in. It, it calls you. As you said, grieving is a multi-stage process. You know, is there a point where it feels like part of working through it is just sort of sitting down with the guitar and seeing what comes out? Yeah, I think that's what I do with everything in life is to make sense of anything. I need to write about it and uh, I use music and song as a way of, of um, you know, me- metabolizing and sort of digesting emotion and, and using uh, the art form to turn it into meaning. I mean, there is intrinsic meaning in events, but I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. I got to write about it to articulate it. I speak to a lot of musicians who tell me that songs will either, their, their interaction with the song, what the song means to them will, will either change over time or in a lot of instances, I've heard stories of musicians who really don't know what a song is about until several years later, maybe playing it on stage and something suddenly clicks. 
That has been true for me as well. There's a wisdom in the song that is wiser than the songwriter often. And there's layers of, of understanding. Uh, you may be operating on one layer uh, and then you realize, oh my God, it, it's so much bigger than I thought it was when I wrote it. You know, words just point to truth. They aren't truth. And so the, the actual truth in, invested inside is, is very uh, a big and, and you really, as a songwriter, uh, can only see some of it. And then you see more maybe uh, over time. Songs like uh, uh, Mercy Now, a song I wrote in 2001, it, it continues to reinvent itself. 21 years later, it means so much more than, than I, I knew it meant when I wrote it 21 years ago. It is a song you come back to a lot, and I suspect it's... In a lot of ways, it's the song you're you're probably best known for. Certainly, the song that that people re- request the most. You know, soon after the writing process, what did it mean, and and how has your relationship with that specific song evolved over the last twenty years? Yeah, I mean, it was a song that to me was just um, personal, and uh, I played it out, and people come up all over the world and tell me about their father and their brother, and and it 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 was universal, uh, and I didn't even know it. Uh, and then the, you know, the world events, the political events keep changing, but the song stays relevant. It's amazing to me how a well-written song can continue uh, to to be relevant. That That is a real thrill to, to see it happen to a song that I wrote, that it, it uh, attaches itself to current events over and over again. Is the lesson learned from that song that you can't necessarily go after the universal that you kind of, that you have to start with the personal and hope that it'll have that impact? Yeah, I think so. I think that it's the deeply personal. That is the universal. The universal is the deeply personal and it goes, it transcends navel gazing. It's beyond the specifics of my personal life. It goes into the, um, the experience, the emotional experience of what happened, not the specifics of the details of what happened, but how it, how it shaped me and how it how it happens uh, to everyone, you know. On your last record, and for some time, you've been working with veterans to help them, veterans and uh, the spouses of veterans to, to help them tell their stories. Is obviously those songs that they write with you are deeply personal when you're transcribing them and when you're setting them to music, are you attempting to make them a little less specific? I actually try to make them more specific, Hmm. Um, but not in a way that makes the co-writer uncomfortable, but in a way that generates empathy. I think if you can bring the listener into the experience that we're writing about, empathy is part of the trade-off. And through empathy, I think we we uh, we find each other, and it certainly is the powerful ingredient that helps people heal. Uh, that that helps helps the veterans heal. When people say, "Oh man, me too," that's a big deal. That must be a, an incredibly difficult line t- to walk, especially with I assume a lot of these men and women have PTSD. Um, you know how do you how do you probe without making them uncomfortable? Metaphor. We don't have to talk about their literal specific experience, but we get we use metaphor 
uh, and uh, imagery, but not imagery that's exactly what happened to them. For example, the record that I put out of these songs called Rifles and Rosary Beads, that creates, conjures a picture, doesn't it? And that's what we want. We want pictures uh, so that we can see the experience and then feel it. Because that's the way the mind works when it listens to a song. It sees the picture and then it enters the scene. You know, Rivals and Rosary Beads, you hold on to what you need. It's like, oh, man, yeah, wow. And so um, the listener understands that because they can see it. That's what I mean by specifics. I would never ask uh, a, a person suffering PTSD to recount the moment that the bomb exploded. That wouldn't be helpful. Yeah, specifics in terms of evoking a, a feeling. Yeah, imagery, but not not imagery of the scene of what happened, but something that is a metaphor of what happened. Do you find working with these non-songwriters that that those are something that just come naturally to people? I mean, is that just a way that people tend to process the world, or is that a very writerly approach? It comes natural to me, um, but I, I think that's maybe part of my Southern upbringing and also uh, um, the songwriter in me talks in pictures because um, I know that's how people hear. Uh, well, I know that's how people feel what I'm talking about is you got to give them a picture. And uh, I think the, the, um, the, the art form is, benefits from pictures um, because it's a little movie really. If I were to say, you know, um, there's a lot of desperation in war, you'd be like, yeah. But if I say rifles and rosary beads, you hold on to what you need. You're like, whoa. It's a completely different thing when you see it. And obviously, a case of that, that in that case specifically, that's something that a lot of different people can interpret in a lot of different ways. Exactly. Like the title of my, the record that we're talking today about, Dark Enough to See the Stars. Again, that's a, a very specific picture, but it's a metaphor for when things are, are hard, really hard. You start to make sense of what's important. And I took that out of a Dr. King, a Dr. Martin Luther King speech. To me, that, that, you know, that evokes the, the phrase, uh, it's always darkest before the dawn. That is a sister saying, yeah. That specifically, I have mixed feelings about. I- oh, I wish that was universally true, but you and I both know it's not. But it can be true, and I have had instances where it was true. But is it universally true all the time? No, not life is so complicated. <laughs> there's so many times it just gets worse. Um, and uh, and yet, yeah, there's times when you want to give up and, and you just can't do it anymore. Uh, and then the phone rings or, or something happens that changes everything. So, you know, the, the universal application of these things is useless. But, but there are times when it is true. I, I know you had some substance abuse problems in the past. And, and like a, par- a parallel idea to that is the idea of hitting rock bottom, right? Of really of, of having to get to a point close to no return of feeling like it's time to turn around. Yeah, I think that that's a great parallel. And yet the bottom for any addict is when you put the damn shovel down. You can keep digging until you're dead, and most of us do. Um, Very few people get sober and stay sober. Uh, uh, There's The numbers are just bad. So you've hit bottom when you quit digging. 
and I think that's actually what we were saying prior is some people will put the shovel down when, you know, they're in handcuffs. Uh, and some people will just be trying to hold a shovel in handcuffs. In your case, you quit drinking pretty pretty early in life, right? I mean, in your 20s? Yeah, is that right? yeah. I, I got sober when I was 27. Um, and that's pretty young, I guess. But Lord, I was an addict at 13. So that's a lot of years of being, uh, you know, in, 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 a, in a burning house. Young from the standpoint of, yeah, you still got a lot of life ahead of you at 27. Maybe. A lot of <laughs> yeah. people die at 27, right? That's the magic number for- and It's a very for, specific number in rock music. Oh, yeah. yeah, 27, 29. It's that Saturn return. A lot of musicians don't make it past 29, 27. Those two numbers are pretty scary. Um, I wasn't a musician then, but uh, yeah, you know, I got sober because I got arrested for drunk driving. And that's when uh, I found uh, that I, I, I really was was interested in songwriting. How are those two things connected? Oh, I had to get sober to clear myself of of the demons to be able to write. Writing is a practice that takes focus. Uh, and to write well, you have to focus. Uh, and I couldn't focus. I was a mess. You hadn't written a song ever prior to that moment? Mm-mm. No. I started writing songs when I was about five or six years sober. So in my early 30s, 33, 34. It is wild that you can spend 27 years on Earth and have this very visceral thing that's such a big part of you that you just haven't been able to tap into. Yeah. That's how powerful disease is, you know? Do you remember that? I don't know if it was a moment or a series of moments when it was clear that, that that's what you wanted to do. Oh yeah. That was kind of one of the things that generated this book I wrote called saved by a song is when the light bulb got turned on and we realized I, this is something I really want to do. And uh, it was in, it, it was, it was, it was fairly early on in my sobriety. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I talk about that quite a bit. I would have never, uh, I would have never written songs if I hadn't gotten sober. It must've felt impossible though, at least, uh, you know, the idea of really becoming a songwriter in that way and, you know, and, and, and being able to do this professionally. I wasn't even thinking of it like that. I was just thinking of it like, I want to write songs and see how, how good I can get. I never thought of it for years as a profession. I didn't think that would that didn't make sense. I was, I was a restaurateur. I went to chef school. I owned restaurants. I was doing great. Um, but at some point, I wasn't happy anymore. And uh, I didn't want to do it anymore. The kitchen became a slave driver. And that's when I started taking music and song pretty seriously. Uh, and I decided that when I was 40 that I should come to Nashville and really try. And I did. And I'm still here. Was the restaurant world, was that something that you were passionate about or was it just kind of a job that you fell into no i loved it i loved it until i didn't right up until i didn't i did yeah lucky that those two things coincided well enough that you had a different direction you could go in yeah right 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 what's the connection between that moment and you know i know the the book is recent i think it came out last year Mm -hmm. what what spurred the decision to sit down and actually put things into prose a book deal so somebody approached you about writing a book and... Yeah, I would have never done it without a book deal. It's really hard to write a book. And it takes a lot of years. And, and to write it well is just about the hardest thing in the world. And so I signed a contract to do it. And that gave me the incentive. And I'm so glad I did. 
Because if you want to make sense of your life, write about it. You know, it starts to really make sense. Oh, this led to that led to this. When you, when you write about it, you see the through line and you don't really, really know it until you write it. Was it something that you had considered previously? Oh, I've always had it in the back of my mind that one day maybe, uh, I, I mean, my house is covered in books. I got books. Everywhere. I got thousands of books. I'm a book reader. I love language and books and and uh, I deeply admire authors. I always, to me, authors are rock stars. And, and yet I didn't seriously entertain it. I mean, I, I wrote a short story once for Melville House because they asked me to in a collection of short stories written by songwriters. But I guess I'm, I'm the kind of person, if you sign me to do it and give me money, I will deliver. Um, but that's the kind of motivation I need. Did it feel like pulling teeth at first? It, it Long form is hard. Um, and the, the struggle is to find the way to hang the, you need to build uh, the, the arc. And I didn't, it, it's obvious in retrospect, but when you're in it, you're like blindfolded. Uh, it just seemed like there was just a whole lot of stories and no big overarching story. I had to figure all that out in real time. And uh, I had no experience doing that. So it was, I spun around for quite a few years. What was that overarching story in hindsight? Saved by a song. That is music and song that helped me to stay sober and helped me work through trauma. And then I got to work with veterans and help them uh, work through trauma. And that music and song have been and can be, uh, if we need them to be, much more than entertainment. And so I think that that is the, the big discussion of the book. And then I talk about my approach and how, how I see uh, the songwriting process. So it's memoir, it's working with trauma, it's working with veterans, and how uh, I think songwriting works. In the same way that you're able to really pinpoint where and when a lot of these songs are written. Are there songs that hit you at certain points in your life that you feel like did honestly save you? Yeah. Over and over again. I mean, uh, for people who really take music seriously, it's serious. It's, it's a relationship that matters. When we hold on, we hold on to music and songs and songwriters for dear life. Um, and uh, it's it, it's significant and consequential. And yeah, I mean, I I, I very much uh, leaned on music and song for my whole life as a listener, and 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 then uh, eventually as a uh, an artist. On this idea of trauma, and, and I had heard you describe this in in an interview. It was very interesting to me that that you had experienced trauma very early on in your life. That I that you didn't know that you didn't know that you had kept with you all these years. Nobody told me being in an orphanage for a year from the day I was born until I was a year old was traumatic. Nobody told me that. I didn't know that. My parents who adopted me they didn't know that. I don't even think the world still knows that. But it was highly traumatic, and it was pre-verbal. And so this was, I think, a lot of the fuel behind my addiction and the pain that I was trying to to soothe. Um, and so I had to work through that. And you, I use music and song quite a bit to help me articulate it uh, and make sense of it. And once I was able to make sense of it, uh, it didn't have a hold on me nearly as much. I'm guessing a lot of people think that, you know, or, or believe that can be traumatic, but that people are very resilient and that these things that happen to you 
especially at a young age, they don't stick around. 40% of the men in prison were adopted or fostered. They stick around. When did that become clear to you that it was something you were still holding with you? Well, because I had to, I had to, to, to get sober and stay sober. And then, you know, 10, 15 years sober, I'm still struggling with this intense feeling of falling through space, like terrifying falling through space. And I just wasn't right. And, uh, uh, a series of events led me to start researching uh, adoption and adoption trauma. And uh, I read a lot of books and then I wrote a whole record about it called The Foundling. And that really helped me to understand what was going on inside me uh, and give me some agency over it. Being, being an artist has been a huge part of keeping me here on planet Earth. It really has. I feel like a lot of people describe the process of writing or songwriting as therapy. And there are instances, I think, where that's overstated, but it seems like it was a very real and has been and continues to be a very real process for you of being able to work through these things. Oh, absolutely. But but it's therapeutic more than therapy. I mean, I, I actually do therapy, so that's a different thing. Uh, and I've been in therapy for a long time and, and continue to to grow and, and, and my therapist is very helpful. It's therapeutic in that it allows me to tell these stories uh, and, and make sense of what happened uh, and make sense of what is happening uh, and to connect. And it, it removes us from isolation as a listener and as a writer. And, and that's always therapeutic. I think music is therapeutic uh, in ways that, um, uh, that, that, that connect us. Uh, so, uh, uh, therapeutic is kind of a word that, that implies a methodology, but it really is more of a connector. And, uh, you know, even music that's not trying to be therapeutic is therapeutic in that it, it, it brings us, uh, into, uh, connection. You describe this feeling. And, and again, this gets back to the idea of looking at the world through metaphor, but of, of falling through space. Is that a loneliness that you're describing? Is that an inability to connect with other people? Uh, that's how it manifests um, or, or manifested. It's an, an attachment disorder that was the result of uh, early childhood trauma. And it came mostly at night. Uh, and I'd wake up in a cold sweat as if uh, something horrible was happening. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it it's like a lurching, like, you know, when a plane drops, like it falls through that feeling. Uh, and it, ha- it happened nightly and it just wore me out. Does your therapist ever see your songs? Yeah. 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 She, I wrote about her in my book too. <laughs> <laughs> I used her real name too. <laughs> that must be sort of an interesting pro- uh, process of, of the therapeutic and the actual therapy really coming to a head. That's yeah, great. It's great because, I mean, the songs on this record, I got four straight up happy songs, like joyful songs. It's like it's working. You know, I, I am I am I am much lighter being than I've ever been. And I'm older than I've ever been. So we're going in the right direction. <laughs> it is wild to, to come out of, you know, what has been obviously a very difficult two years. But I would say, you know, four to six years of just everything feeling like it's falling apart around us. But you've been able to find an inner peace 
during that time. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm connected. I'm connected. You're connected in a time of... Disconnection. Disconnection. I think that's right. I guess I've been in practice and I've been... I've been in rehearsal for this thing without even knowing it was coming. <laughs> All of these things must be useful and they must have been useful as far as your ability to actually make it through this thing in one piece. Yeah. Yeah. Grateful. I mean, on that note, you know, 20, I think 2014, the last record, 2014, uh, your last record as a singer songwriter, you know, forgetting the, uh, the the work that you did with the veterans. Was it the book? What was behind that gap? Yeah, the book took up a lot of space. Uh, writing with the veterans took up a lot of space. Uh, and I was in this process of transformation. I was changing. And uh, I didn't have a, I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying, trying to write songs. Uh, I was doing this different kind of work. And then I reached this place where where I was ready to write about it. And it, it, there were times uh, that I was just bursting with song, but, but I had, I had lots and lots of, of, of uh, years of just not writing and, and that's okay. I, I'm not the kind of writer who feels like I have to write every single day. I, I want to write uh, 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 always, but I don't have to write. And I, I feel as though uh, these, these periods of letting the fields lay fallow, that's purposeful. Uh, there's stuff going on. I'm going to eventually capture. I'm not. I didn't quit writing. I'm just. We're not. We're not harvesting right now. Yeah, maybe this is bad. I know that a lot of my identity is tied to being a writer. You know, something that I've been doing professionally for 15 plus years now. And I know I, I feel a little. I get a little antsy if I don't write every single day because it is something that is so important to how I define myself. And obviously. You know, since your 30s, since your 40s, it has been something that is so fundamental to the way you perceive yourself. But it isn't hard to let that go for an extended period? No, not at all, because I can play the songs I've written and people are just happy to hear them. Yeah. And they, they don't seem to get old. You know, I've got a couple hundred songs. I can, like James, you know, just play and play and play. <laughs> and so the new ones are always good to have, but they're not mandated. You don't have to have, once you have 10 records out, you got a lot of songs you can play. When was it clear that you had a record in you? Well, it wasn't, but I, after the book came out and I had done all the press and I did what I had to do for the book, I sat down and said, okay, now we got to think about a record. So I started gathering everything I had to see what I had that I liked and to see where the holes were. Uh, and it just came together in, 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 uh, um, you know, in a series of months of focusing on what it, what it was uh, that that I needed, and and then uh, rewriting some stuff uh, and adding a couple of more songs. I wrote a couple of of songs specifically about the 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 experience of loss in the pandemic. So, um, you know, while you're home, while I was home, I had a lot of downtime, and I used it to to capture this stuff, and 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 I got caught up. My songs caught up with my life again. That's that's kind of how it goes. What, what does that mean? Your songs caught up with your life. Well, I live and live and live and live, and then I write about it. And, you know, and when I first started writing, I was in my thirties, so I had to catch up with thirty-four years. So I'm writing coming-of-age songs at thirty-five. You know, it's like oh, I'm gonna catch up here. But now I'm kind of caught up. I stay caught up. You know, you don't ever plumb that far back. Mm-mm. I don't think so. 
but I'm also not always just writing about me. So I'm in, I'm in character sometimes. So maybe I am. Uh, and certainly uh, uh, there's, there's stuff back there that still rears its head. Um, and uh, I'm like, whoa, I could write about that. So it's still alive. And I'm sure, uh, you know, there's, uh, th- it has to be in some of it. It has to be. Yeah. In the sense that life, the way we live it isn't necessarily a straight continuum. And, and that could mean writing a book and really going through and, and starting to, as you said, realize these these connections and realize these things about yourself, or it could be going to therapy and really getting in touch with something a, a long, long time ago. Um, I mean, those things. There's always more, yeah. Yeah, and those things, while not in the immediate past, must must have some impact on on your songwriting. Oh, it's so nonlinear. You know, I don't even know what I mean. I got caught up. I mean, I think I got caught up, and then I realized that I you know, ain't no getting caught up. It's circular. It's, it absolutely is. No doubt about it. How much? Uh, how many songs did you have going into this one? These are all of them except for one that didn't make it. I mean, how much before you actually sat down and decided you were making a record, how much was kind of kicking around? Oh, five, six, seven songs. I just needed to write three or four more to get it right. Yeah. You know, without that kind of urgency, you know, certainly you, you didn't have an urgency to, to work on an, another record of the last several years. Does that mean that Every time you finish a record, you're not entirely sure whether you've got another one in you. Never know if I have another song in me, really. I sit down and write, and there it is again, you know. Yeah, you never know what your last song's going to be. You certainly don't know what your last record's going to be, but yeah, the the calling calls, and keep going. And I, I'm writing a lot now. All of a sudden, I'm just writing a lot. What do you attribute that to? Oh, it's just the season of it, I guess. Um and I'm writing, co-writing with people who ask me to write with them. That helps. I love co-writing. Is there a way in which she, once the floodgates open and once you've started working on another record that all of a sudden, like, you're just writing again? Can be, yeah. When I know I need three or four songs to get to the finish and have a record, that that's motivating. Uh, definitely. Um, and uh, when I have something to say, too. Uh, when, when, when there's a lot to talk about. Uh, and certainly, um, you know, being in love and being in a pandemic and losing people, that's rich, rich material. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're clearly a very thoughtful person and, and you don't strike me as somebody who really ever, where there's ever a point where you don't have something to say. I have something to say, but I'm not sure it's a song. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, well, you know, it, it, I never imagined I'd be sitting here with 10 or 11 records under my belt. It's a body of work now, and I'm, uh, I'm a long-termer, and I'm grateful. 